piloting your rickety wooden ship across these uh, cursed oceans. It's Vija, please, a painful voyage with the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your parent that you have dishonored and subsequently sent to Klingon Hell, Peter. And Peter, what episode have we reviewed this week? We're getting into season six, episode three, Barge of the Dead. This is an episode that I think the personal enjoyment of any person watching is completely reliant on how much they like Ron Moore's Klingon stuff. This is the Ron Moore Klingon episode of Voyager. We There are many examples of this in TNG and DS9. And this is the one we get for Voyager because it's like the brief period of time here where we've talked about Ron Moore being a writer on the show. And it is Every bit, you know, bit a Klingon mythology episode. And you like this shit? This episode's amazing, right? Like, so much rich history. If you don't care for it, it sucks. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's basically the bottom line. <laughs> well, Joe. <laughs> Where do you fall on that? Uh, As that someone who doesn't give two shits about Klingon lore... I can, in fact, confirm your hypothesis that it sucked. <laughs> As someone who is kind of medium on the idea of all the Klingon stuff, I am medium on this episode. Uh, I don't love or hate it. I think it's a cool, like the idea of building up like Klingon mythology and all of that is interesting. And of course, this is about spirituality and the afterlife. So we all know Joseph's going to love it. I am self-aware. But... The, the problem with the Klingon mythology stuff is it gets stuck way up its own asshole way too often. And this is no exception. I, I Ron Moore loves sniffing his own farts when it comes to Klingon backstory. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got like a tube coming out of his ass to a gas mask, like airtight over his nose. I haven't taken this few notes on an episode of Star Trek in a long fucking time. Like I'm not even at half a page. And even 1159 surpasses. I was playing on my phone and looking out the window and anything and everything except for watching this goddamn episode. I don't think it's a bad episode of Star Trek, but I fucking hated this. And the whole time I'm watching it, did did Ron Moore never watch a single Voyager episode previous to this? And also, uh, I having to sit through this, having to sit through uh, whatever the 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 Borg quad quartet episode. What was that last one called? Uh, oh, survival, survival instinct. instinct. Yeah, survival instinct wasn't bad, but following on the heels of that episode and going into this, like. I'm not sad that Ron Moore did not stick with Voyager. Um, he clearly had a different show in mind. Like he just was not compatible with what they were doing here. And that is uh, no more clear than this, which just feels like a fucking straight up DS nine episode. It was. And, it yeah. Was, you read the memory. I saw that later. That was like, Oh, this was a DS nine episode. Who would have guessed <laughs> Equinox part two. You know, just we we released that today, so I was listening to it in the car. Pretty great episode, all things considered, right? 
Uh, and I will tell you right now, Joe, going back and listening to our Equinox Part 2 episode, the mishandling of the doctor and that fucking ethics subroutine might be my pick for the weakest shit of season six. Like that was really going to be hard to top, like definitely very hard to, to beat. And and the problem there. And again, we don't know how much input Ron Moore really had on Equinox part two, like which parts he wrote where his fingerprints really were. Certainly, I think he was a big part of uh, Chakotay arguing with Janeway. I don't know the doctor becoming a sadist. If that was him, but looking at uh, this episode, looking back on that, potentially a little bit of how Seven of Nine acts, it's clear that either there's not a respect for the characters or an awareness of where the characters currently are in their story journey to the end point, right? If this season six, episode three, Barge of the Dead, if this was something out of season two, season one, maybe even season three, where Balana is still trying to come to terms with the Klingon part of her, which really I think faces lays to rest well enough where she says, I'm both of these people. I need to embrace my Klingon side and just fucking get over it. Right. Uh, going back to Equinox, we've done so much character development with the doctor where we find out he's a real person and more than just the lines of code and this and that. This stuff feels so out of place and it's just too late in the series to be playing these cards. We we have gone on at length about how the ground on which Balana's character development has been uh, uh, grown has just been just, just tortured, right? Like we keep getting the same fucking story for Balana over and over and over again. And we, we keep having these Balana's angry and she's kind of a hothead and she pushes people away. And, you know, she's going to have this episode where she really comes to terms with these impulses that she has. And she's going to grow as a person and as an officer and as a friend and as a lover as a consequence. Every fucking like 12 weeks, we get a fucking episode like this it feels like twice a year. And she never actually grows as a consequence, because they keep not wanting to advance her character. It's crazy. I want Belana Torres to be one of my favorite characters. She's I do, too. She's got, one of the best actors on the show. She's one of the best actors. And they've done stories that really, you know, touch me. Uh, uh, a late 30s white guy. Right. And I'm like, man, I feel what she's got this conflict between, you know, wanting to be a professional, actually being a nerd She's an introvert, but she's, you know, under the guise of like, there's a lot of complexity. And instead, it's always the fucking uh, mm, I'm so angry and it's because I'm half Klingon bullshit. It's the same deal with seven and nine. Like, I want to be a real girl, but I'm afraid and I still want to be a Borg and minus the doctor. And we've said this many times, like minus the doctor. Nobody has consistent, meaningful and lasting character growth. It, it, we have literally had this character trait in Belana Torres since Seska was still a Starfleet officer. I mean, literally it's been going on since the very beginning of season one that they've had these episodes where she's trying to confront this part of herself. And I will grant this episode goes a little deeper into backstory that we haven't really explored yet. It's I think better written. This is a good example of this story. 
It, it's probably better than most of the ones we've seen, but I'm fucking tired of it. And so it kind of made me hate it as a consequence, despite the fact that I think this is actually super well executed in trying to do that story again. It's just Ron Moore is gotten to it like the fifth after five other people have tried to do it. Yes. And, and what's hilarious is this was supposed to be a DS9 episode per per memory alpha because it was too late in the story and it didn't fit and and it was the sore thumb and it's the exact same fucking problem that we're describing now only Voyager let it fly and it almost feels like Ron Moore is like man this is a fucking great story about what's anti stovacor the uh Gre- Grethor I got yeah. this great Grethor story and you know I th- I think I'm done with the Star Trek thing but I can't leave until I tell this story and like like he just latched on to Voyager long enough to fucking birth this goddamn Klingon hell episode. And he's like, OK, cool. I can move on to the afterlife and go to BSG. And and, and like you're saying, it's the best version. Uh, the doctor episode and and also to listening to Equinox part two. I don't know. I never dawned on me with the amount of times that the doctor's gone rogue or had a a, a bad version of him in place like. We're going to start calling those Dr. Evils. It's not the evil doctor. That's a <laughs> Dr. That's, evil. There's the EMH necessary. or there's Dr. Evil. It, how, how did that never dawn on us? Um, but was it Warhead where the he becomes Dr. Evil, the, the, the thermonuclear Warhead? Yeah. You know, that's the best version of that story. And we've had it a few times. Unfortunately, it's so fucking late in the series that it it doesn't it's not that it doesn't work it's just i don't care i'm over it so same so deal here the overall point of this story is balana having an existential crisis as a consequence of her klingon heritage which what was the episode where she was like doing a bunch of klingon shit in the holodeck and that was uh, to, her worst day at work where she's yeah, worst day at work where she like falls in love with Tom finally, whatever. And the like the warp core gets ejected. Like it's like we already it's did the fried that. chicken people. Yeah. With the fried chicken people. Exactly. Like we did it, it there. It, and that we was season it. four. I think that was two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Faces in season one. Like I uh, feel like were, we just did it in juggernaut where she's fighting with her anger the whole time while they're trying to unfuck the Malon uh, garbage scow that's going to blow up everything in a 300 light year radius or whatever. Let's get to the episode, though. Let's just let's bang well, this one out. Let's let's actually talk before about Before We get just too deep in, in into the actual episode. Like my end point is there's great stories to tell with Balan. You know, her trying to have this this uh, the science career. Uh, and and do these very unwarrior things and, and explore her engineering nature. Like that's an interesting story to tell. Her being psychologically damaged because of all the trauma she's been through and all of her Maquis friends dying uh, that really got brought up in extreme risk. That's an interesting story to continue on. And these Absolutely. are open threads that we we never really get resolved. And it makes me wonder like, are those stories flukes that the writer's room just felt didn't resonate correctly or there wasn't enough mileage there that they just keep going back to the same tired ass concept that we have had? I mean, 
I wouldn't be surprised if this is the sixth time we've gone down this uh, rabbit hole with her. It's a real shame, too, because it feels like when I think back to like episodes in DS9, right, like episodes about characters like Dr. Bashir and how his character changes and how like major things happen and and his development and how that plays forward into the, you know, the things that his character goes from that point forward. And like, there's this real growth and this real change and there's real things that happen in the story that get referenced later. Right. And it's just so absent in something like this. There is no reference to anything Bolana has been through that kind of makes the premise of the story bunk. Cause the premise of the story is Bolana's like without honor, right? Like she's not, she's not a real Klingon. She hasn't embraced her Klingon heritage. I already mentioned we we had a, a whole episode devoted to her doing the Klingon Day of Honor and trying to embrace that. We've had multiple episodes where Bolana's heroism dying. and honor has been critical to the success of Voyager's missions. That she has gone on a limb to defend her people and this extended family of Starfleet, you know, that she has been adopted into. Like this the, the there is so much they could have pulled on that happened in the show to Bolana that this could have been an episode about exploring her growth and showing her growth and demonstrating Ooh. Ooh. like all of the things that she's accomplished and changed and trying to show her mother like oh I'm a different person now and these are all the things that have happened to me this and they punt on it all they could have made this into a clip show I think had it been a clip show of like proving to her mother and proving to the Klingon afterlife that like, no, I have turned my life around. Like it would have been better than what we got here. Again, if this was season one, this would have been a great place to start. And as you're pointing out here, we have addressed this thing. She has grown, and the fact that they're ignorant is a real crime. Maybe Ron Moore didn't watch the first couple seasons of Voyager, and I wouldn't blame him if he didn't. Brian Fuller, though whose strength has been understanding the show, understanding the characters, knowing the journeys they've gone on to get where we're at in season six for him to be the teleplay and co-writing credit on this and letting Ron Moore get away with putting this out there. Like what the fuck happened, man? Like did everybody just roll over and say, fine, Ron make whatever you want and then get the fuck out of here. Who knows? Like this was at the end of the acrimonious divorce between Ron Moore and his Star Trek long term at that point, Star Trek uh, compatriots. So I don't I don't remember all the details anymore about how that divorce happened. I know it wasn't great. Uh, I was actually expecting the Memory Alpha to go into those details, but it didn't. It was a big deal. Memory at the time. Alpha it was a huge deal. Very thin on information the past couple episodes like i noticed the deeper we get into voyager the less info is actually present in these files which is uh, a little telling i think um go ahead yeah the the only thing i i pulled out of the uh uh well two things that i pulled out of the memory alpha was as you mentioned i i was thinking to myself it felt like a ds9 episode upon rewatching and sure enough it actually was as you said and then second apparently the uh, woman that was playing uh abolana's mother the only actress is older. only four <laughs> years older than rusk and dawson but you know klingon makeup 
You can make you as old as you want to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's a similar situation with uh, the who played Quark's mom on DS9 was like similar age, Armin Zimmerman. But all right. So we start off uh, with uh, a bumpy time on a Federation issue death cart. You Absolutely. As a, as a yeah. shuttlecraft. They're not in the Delta Flyer. Blana's out there solo, it would seem. And she's coming up on Voyage and she's like, oh, shit, stuff's rough. I need help. And they're like, well, we're going to grab you with the tractor beam and throw you real (laughs) sloppy for a crash landing a shuttle. Why wouldn't you just beam her on board? I think this is the first time we've ever seen an emergency landing of a shuttle, right? Like, I don't think this has ever been a thing before in Star Trek. For Voyager? uh, No, the Star Trek movie, the original series movie, they, they did it. Where it crashes okay. into the cargo nets, but uh, TV though in TV this is this is new. I cannot disapprove that statement. I think you might be right. And so the idea behind it of like, oh, you're coming in too hot. We're going to use like a tractor beam to like slow you down so that we can like bring you into the shuttle bay, like kind of like the 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 plane trying to land on the carrier, like <laughs> like oh, you got a busted wing. We got to get you down. <laughs> interesting idea but yeah like why not just beam her aboard and then like you know keep the shuttle out there and just like bump it with a tractor beam and then like collect it later right like no real reason to do this but they do it uh and uh she's having a bad day because she uh she's trying to get a hold of the uh the much ballyhooed multi-spatial probe and it got lost in an ion storm and she got all fucked up from it i maintain that they have never really demonstrated what the value of the multispatial probe is and it has been the MacGuffin for so many near miss disasters with Voyager that uh, I I don't know like there must have been a deleted scene out there as to why this thing's such a big fucking deal it's uh, critical to their capacity to replicate food that isn't no low roots stew. And therefore, it is their most precious resource. Look at that, Joe. You're a better writer than the Voyager. Bam. I'm like (laughs) two thirds drunk and I managed to get there. Like the multispatial probe allows us to manufacture photon torpedoes. Without it, we would have been out of (laughs) photon torpedoes three years ago. And also the ones except for the ones that we beamed off of the Equinox, because all they found in all the treasure chests in the Delta Quadrant were all the torpedoes we didn't find. It makes (laughs) cost established. And Julian fries. It's not a replicator. It only does those two things. It's like the slap chop of the yeah, Federation. It needs side. to go into it needs to go into uh, Nebula Space Babies to collect its juice. Yeah, to only be able to make... run away on its back, leaking piss. Um, she crashes into the shuttle bay. Uh, Tom comes in to treat her grievous wounds because you know she's not important enough for the fucking doctor to come down. There's a bunch of stuff I'm writing in my notes like, oh, this seems a little off. This seems a little off. Well, it doesn't fucking matter because it's all a dream. So um, I did want to ask you about that. And I'm glad you kind of segued into you were noticing that things were off. I thought that was a clever part of the episode was before they kind of, you know, let the beat drop and let you know that it's a dream. They kind of show like there's little things that seem a little bit, mm, this doesn't seem right. Like not so much that, you know, immediately it's a dream, but it's enough to be like, there's something weird going on. Cause it starts with, uh, uh, Janeway calling her just, uh, Lana, 
instead of Bolana. And it's like, my mother used to call me that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm good company. That's great. And she's like, ah, that's weird. And then uh, she gets a, uh, an artifact, like a piece of debris, like got into her fucking like motor on her death cart. And it's yeah, a, uh, she got a, a piece screw of, in her tire. Yeah, and it's a piece of a, of a Klingon ship. Which just so conveniently has the Klingon Empire logo stamped on it. And again, I'm writing my notebook like, of course, that metal just happened to have the logo. This is getting dumb. Uh, Chakotay leaves the room and then she hears some Klingons yelling shit. And then the logo melts off in bad 90s CGI and pools into blood on the glass table. And she takes it down to engineering and Harry's like, I don't really care. It's 3 a.m. You're just going crazy. Credit again to Voyager writing room. Like when something goofy happens, unlike next gen where people notoriously kept their their sanity doubts to themselves, like Voyager is very open about like, hey, a, a giant butthole opened and a space baby came out and said my name backward and then disappeared. And people are like, we're going to take this at face value. Start checking for temporal for chromaton particles or whatever. You know, the the, the trend continues here. But I did just... like the idea of Harry Kim being bitchy because he hasn't slept. Like the idea of like, we've tried everything. It's three o'clock in the morning. Can I please go to bed? You're my superior officer, so I have to stay here scanning this fucking thing until you say you're done. But he's just like his patience is gone. He's like, please let me go. <laughs> like I actually thought that was one of the more convincing scenes that he's ever done on the show. Yes. And good, <laughs> good writing credit when he's just like, let's give up on it. Let's put it in a containment locker, which how many times have we had sloppy scripts like ah, let's just take the super plot element, and just leave it on the shelf so right. I can, you know, assimilate nosy crewman <coughs> drone. <coughs> let's just, you know what? Top men can research this later. Let's put it with the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just worry about this tomorrow. I want to sleep. Let's it's leave late. it <laughs> right next to the warp core. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? The uh, well, that's where you store everything dangerous. And that is well, no, that, so they say photon grenades, locker. bleeding pieces of metal, and and space pipes, sex robots. Okay, and that too. Yeah, and Tom when he is a lizard person. Yeah, so uh, this is when Neelix comes down too, right? Like he comes down, like, hey, we found a piece from the Alpha Quadrant. We're gonna have a big Klingon party, and he's like weirdly insistent about it, and that's like check mark number two of this is weird. Mm. No, it's not because he starts telling <laughs> stories about like, oh, did you know this funny fact about, you know, uh, Klingon, whatever. And Bolana's like, why are you researching this? Like, since when do you give a fuck? And it's like, since when doesn't he give a fuck? Like, do you not Is remember that- stupid 1159 where he memorized all that bullshit about the Great Wall of China? Like, this is right on brand for Neelix. You're right. That's not as sus as everything else. Like that that is actually a little too on the nose for him to to really be suspicious. Now, the Tuvok scene. Yeah, that 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 was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Tuvok she goes to Tuvok on the off chance and again, she's painting by numbers and and I appreciate it. like science isn't giving me a clear answer on this piece of metal being, you know, possessed. Maybe I'm just going a little space madness. We've already set up that uh, she's doing meditation sessions with uh, Tuvok. And we know that Tuvok is a little 
what's the word I'm looking for? Frosty, maybe. You know, you, he does not have a good bedside manner. No, he's, he's, not a tacti- above, he's a tactical Vulcan. He's very precise. He's not above calling you Mrs. Turtlehead and rubbing your face in your own uh, inadequacies. He and, knows that's a way to get through to Bolana. And it kind of starts like he's giving her some of that tough love. But then he goes off the deep end. The insults get like way more real. And, uh, you know, culminates in him cutting her fucking face. Well, let's it isn't just cutting her face. It's he starts by getting a batleth. OK, so he gets a batleth from another room. And then Bolana says the most true thing that Bolana said in six years of this television program, which is the batleth is a stupid fucking weapon. <laughs> like I, I almost clapped while sitting in my seat watching this episode of like, I forgot that was a line. Like, you're right. It is a stupid weapon. Thanks, Ron Moore, for knowing that. Tuvok is a stand for the Batleth. It's like, no, it's a warrior's weapon. And you're just too much of a bitch to understand that. And uh, then there's some really cool Batleth Kung Fu that uh, apparently Tim Russ does right there on screen, just whipping that thing around like like he's a fucking pro. And he ends all of his demonstration, like his nunchuck demonstration with the fucking Batleth by cutting Bolana right on the he knows that's a way to get through to the Bolana. Playing to the tropes, man. Bolana gets roughed up by a lot of her coworkers. Uh, seven of nine, clearly, whether <laughs> bites or phasers, like there's some real workplace violence there. Uh, the doctor has victimized her numerous times. Now we've got uh, that. Like, has she just moved to a point where she just doesn't even bother reporting it to Janeway anymore? Because it's clear she doesn't care. <laughs> it's like, seriously, when I think about it, almost every single one of her coworkers has committed violence against her in one way or another. Every single one. Wouldn't she's had subordinates. She's had. Oh, people yeah. From Vorick. Other yeah. Vorick. Yeah. Like she had to fight Vorick to not have sex with them, I guess. <laughs> like that was literally that fight was over. If I beat you up, I don't have to fuck you. Like that was she what that was about. Ever get in a fist fight with Seska? I don't think so. No, Ses- Seska just kind of left the ship and then she was Chicote's problem. Uh, um, I assume maybe Carrie might have had to shove on her at least to justify getting <laughs> his nose broken. Yeah, and then uh, you, you've you got all the Seven of Nine workplace shootings. You've had the doctor, as you've mentioned. Uh, Tom has, you know, kind of been involved in physical altercations with her, some of them consensual. Uh, Chicote has Chicote ever committed workplace violence against? I guess, like, grabbing her and taking her to the holodeck towards secret Cardassian uh, murder cave was a little did rough. did grab her by the arm, which you have demonstrated is... Yeah, that's how you stop a woman in TV. You just grab them by the arm. They're immobilized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of her co-workers, <laughs> a lot of them. So like Tuvok being on the action is just like, this is just normal for me now. <laughs> I'm used to this. I was a terrorist. Like I was I was co-workers with Lon Suter. So really, this isn't a big deal. The Neelix line that stood out to me was him saying that I'm not going to cancel the Klingon Appreciation Festival. I've already replicated five barrels of blood wine. And I'm like, man, no one has clued Ron more into the fact that like they're supposed to have replicator constraints. Like five barrels seems like a lot of replicator rations to sink into it. Again, it doesn't matter. It's a hallucination, whatever. But that was, I guess, the the tip off that something was up with Neelix. Um, 
we end up in this after she gets her face cut by uh Tuvok, she goes up to the mess hall where they're doing this Klingon, I don't know, a cultural appropriation festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the whole mess hall is done up in like Klingon regalia. Uh you've got uh the doctor and seven of nine talking about Klingon drinking songs and then literally breaking into song, which is makes them like two for three on the season for singing. I, we get it. And, and and that's been uh her being tortured to sing in Equinox part two, uh the goddamn My Fair Lady episode, which you know was season five. But yeah, that's that's two out of the three episodes of six that Jerry's singing. All right. Yeah, I guess after they unlocked that power in season, was it? It was four when they had the Herogen episode, right? It was season four. So, like, that's when they were like, oh, Jerry Ryan oh, can sing. Forgot should, about that. We should have her sing a lot. I got a the, serious the f- question for you, Joe. Did you confuse in your head uh, Borg nanoprobes for Jerry Ryan singing? Because we haven't had a single. <laughs> Borg pixie dust episode where Borg nanoprobes save the day minus when Neelix gets resurrected from the dead. But there has been a lot of Jerry Ryan singing. Like, did you there has been more them? Jerry Ryan singing than the Borg nanoprobes? I think you're right. Uh, yeah. I think. Wow. Yeah, I might have just I might have just conflated the two. I might have just cons- which is which is unfortunate because she can sing like I hate bagging on it that they keep doing it. But Jerry Ryan's actually good at this. It's just like a little too much, guys. Like, we get it. We get it that you get it, but you don't have to keep giving it to us. Well, you're going to keep getting that. I'll be curious to see how many more we get. We get more. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> I know at least one more. <laughs> so she's at the uh, the Klingon birthday party and things start getting goofy. And then Janeway's giving a speech and then it's slow motion and Klingons just show up out of nowhere with bat lefts and knives. And then they just start killing everybody. It's awful. It's terrible. And then it's all a waste of, sudden, of time. We know it's all bullshit. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is fucking terrible. And then Torres winds up on the ship with all of the DS9 extras. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, hey. It's all of the dudes in the Klingon makeup and the Klingon uniforms we don't need anymore. <laughs> like, because that show's over now. <laughs> like, hey, what's up, guys? The set looks very simple, very community theater at the same time, very effective. Uh, there's a real community theater vibe to the whole thing. Um, Blonde it, it does remind me a lot of the Valkyrie uh, Beowulf episode from season one. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, Balana's like, why am I here? And they say, well, you know, you're on the barge of the dead. You died on that shuttlecraft. Your memories of being back on Voyager was your brain tricking itself. And then the Klingons on this death barge uh, killed the false beliefs. And now you're being forced to believe and, and and to this point i'm just checking out it's like man all this klingon guilt stuff and, and, and just like you said faces whatever her bad day at work was all of this stuff's been addressed and this just does not jive with where we should be in season six let me um explain some context that peter you do not have because you've not watched a lot of ds9 
So as much as you might remember some of the Klingon lore stuff from TNG, you know, Redemption and some of the other episodes, uh, Ron Moore basically bukkakied all of his DS, his Klingon shit in DS9. Like it, that show is dense with Klingon lore and even like the mythological stuff in particular and having to do with the afterlife. And so not knowing any of this makes this feel much more like where is this coming from than if you came from having it consumed all of that. Uh, where Bolana is supposed to be from a mythological perspective is in the bad side of the of the Klingon afterlife. They're, basically, the Klingons are space Viking samurai, so they have a good afterlife, which is basically Valhalla Stovakor, which is the one you always hear about. And this is the one you don't hear about, which is a Klingon hell, Grothor. And uh, she's on essentially a boat to a boat to hell right now and uh you get on the boat to hell if you lived a dishonorable life versus an honorable one but the klingon sense of honor being a little bit more uh shall we say barbarian than uh shall we say uh you might understand from a, a western philosophical perspective another hard part of this episode for me is confusion as to what's actually going on is she hallucinating all of this and that would seem to be the case because uh, running through the the, the rest of this um, barge of the damned portion, the captain of the barge is the first Klingon who killed all the Klingon gods. And his punishment is now he has to ship a treasonous, treacherous scum around. She finds out that her mom's on the ship. Her mom had died and because of uh, her refusal to be honorable, which, again, is bullshit because of all the other episodes where Bolana goes through this, that her mom's getting dragged to hell over her actions and she feels conflicted about it. And then she wakes up on the sick bay table. We find out that she's been in a coma, that she, you know, all that beginning stuff was just a hallucination and that she's fine. But she's shaken and she's got this belief that her mom is going to suffer and she wants to go back in uh, another near-death experience to save it. Voyager's had a few brushes with afterlife-based episodes, right? Like Space Spider Island. Uh, We've had the episode where uh, Kess Kess licked the hell hell mouth and and you had uh, Janeway who had to go through a very like spiritual circumstance to retrieve her soul basically. And then Neelix had a near death experience. She was resurrected by the Borg pixie dust and he didn't experience an afterlife. And that was actually a great episode that we enjoyed. And so, you know, this is another like, uh, you know, what is real about these circumstances kind of like open-ended question. Uh, I, there's a couple things I thought were really clever in this initial part, one was that there's a suggestion that the experience of a person in their afterlife is based on their personal belief structure because there's straight up a line of, I used to believe in you when I was a kid. And then like the Klingon, like mythological, you know, boat captain is like, if you didn't believe you wouldn't be here, which kind of like conveys something that's hinted in Star Trek, which is, a a a particular character's experience in the afterlife is based on their belief structure, uh, which is oh hey. know, weird. But like while, that- while we're talking about things that happen in the afterlife, let us not forget 
the soul sucking demon. Yeah, Rondel, you know, just going around the Delta Quadrant that they never dealt with. Yeah, didn't get didn't get Janeway's soul, but it's still out there with a grudge. Yeah. So that's my conflict in this is as I'm trying to watch the rest of this episode, uh, you know, she gets pulled back. We see that it's not an alien ruse. It's not her on a holodeck being tricked. She even tries to turn it off. Uh, it's either a full on hallucination or she's really touching the afterlife and the afterlife is is real. And that becomes a conflict because you don't get a clear answer really i mean she tries to go back and recreate the situation that of the coma the first place and she does and she lives out the rest of maybe a fantasy i don't know but i i love the way they handled neelix's near-death experience uh the the courage the show had to not give you a cut and dry answer and maybe you know there is nothing after like and now we default to this that just because it's klingons like we're going to indulge or maybe because Ron Moore doesn't care about the other episodes of Voyager. It just, it seemed like a big backslide on the ambiguity that Voyager had established earlier. I could not possibly agree with you more. The very best part of the last time we went down this road was that Neelix was confronted by the idea that there was nothing. And it, it drove him to a point where he nearly committed suicide because he couldn't handle the psychological shock of using the idea of like, I'm going to seal off my friends and family when I die. And then he died and that none of that happened and there was nothing and he didn't know how to handle it. And there wasn't an explanation or comforting answer at the end of that episode it was an uncomfortable silence of you'll have to carry that weight and there are just some things that are unknown and despite like chakotay in particular the mvp of that episode's best efforts of explaining like there's just shit we don't know neelix like i can't answer this for you and the show doesn't and this is the exact opposite it is almost telling you like there is an afterlife and it is like catering to you because in the end all of Bolana's experiences in hell essentially are geared towards helping her. Right. And like she ends up moving on from this near death experience by coming to terms with her own, you know, inadequacies and, uh, uh, you know, temper and all of her like character flaws and like saying, I don't want to like be a bad person anymore. So like, it's, it's very like Hallmark episode. -y. And it kind of like tells you, yes, there is an afterlife and it's here to help, which is very different tonally than what we saw last season. Yep. So you're stuck with this episode where. Is this just a big waste of time because Voyager's already kind of shown us that there's no afterlife is is this setting real precedent for what the af is there real it. Again, Ron Moore in this fucking afterlife, you know, Battlestar Galacta, it's, it's where it fell apart in Battlestar Galactica, and it does not do any better here. So, yeah, he's as, really bad at religion. <laughs> and he just, loves it. He loves, he loves it. it and he's bad at it. And I just I could not give a fuck watching this. They finally end up near hell. It's terrible. 1991 CD-ROM, Sierra Activision CGI <laughs> graphics. 
it's it's straight up like a scene from an adventure game that you didn't want to play <laughs> yeah it is fucking awful i'm still rolling my eyes it was it was so bad uh her mother you know you get front row seats to who Belana Torres's mom is and i will tell you that she is 100% not a woman that would enter into a long-term relationship with a human male <laughs> let's just say I don't know what the sexual like angles of the 24th century are, but uh, I can't imagine a future where that kind of teeth is something that I would uh, want to be involved with one way. Or She's another. so wrapped up in honor and tradition and everything else. And you're telling me this lady hooked up with the human and moved in with him and married him. Like, like they specifically they were married. Like what? I don't buy it at all. I know I do not buy it at all. And had they not talked about the father at all and like, okay, well, you know, this is Ron Moore with a limited understanding of Bellana Torres and they're just shying away from things that don't drive. But like the dad becomes such a big point of contention and their conversations drawing attention specifically to it. Like it just doesn't hold up at all. So I don't know. You know, my big takeaway for the episode is uh, the first Klingon has really nasty circular holes in his head instead of traditional uh, notches. It looks like his forehead's made out of glory holes. <laughs> I call them Captain Glory Hole. Uh, Janeway is acting just as goofy and crazy as ever. Uh, Torres is like, you know, you guys woke me up out of the coma, but I was there. I saw death for real. And my wishes, like that's another fucking trope we keep going back to, is Bellana's wishes at a direct conflict with the the captain having a desire to keep her crew safe. Sometimes Janeway stands her ground and says, "Tough shit, we're doing things my way. You're gonna let the Cardassian uh, war criminal hologram take the mutant parasite off you." Uh, in this case, it's I want to go brain dead again. <laughs> and her thing. I really actually did like the scene that they shared where she's trying to say, I've had this spiritual experience. I need to explore it further. You know, this is religious to me. You need to let me. And she's like, I don't listen. I'm not going to have an argument of religious freedom on this ship. I'm not going to let people do things that are dangerous to themselves and are others. I'm going to let you sacrifice a fucking baby. I'm not going to let you like kill yourself. It's just not on the table. And I'm not going to let you sacrifice it, baby. What do I look like? Captain Ransom? <laughs> right. We just beat those guys. Come on. And the way she turns the conversation around is, you know, she makes it very personal in that. Like, listen, I it, it, it's one of the few moments where there's an acknowledgement of her growth is like I've become a better person and an off and a good officer because of you. And my mother never got to see me grow. And. If this all happened and this is real, this is my only opportunity I'll ever have for her to see that and for me to help her. And that's what I want to do. And that's why it's important to me. Like it's the it's one of the few moments in the in the entire episode that seems to like really connect itself to the rest of what's happened in Bolana's story. And what's unfortunate is that there's no other connective tissue, right? Like when she gets there, there isn't like a, a demonstration of her honor i guess aside from like saying she'll like go to hell in her mother's place or whatever um but that almost seems too easy right like you kind of know she's getting out of that like that isn't a real sacrifice you know the rest of the plot then goes that her plan is to 
take her mother's place. And then once her mother is safe, signal the real world so they can wake her up out of dream matrix and she can skip out on going to hell. But Captain Glory Hole knows what up and he senses the deception and that her friends are waiting. And he says, you know, you're going to have to take this responsibility. No tricks. You got to sign on the dotted line and go to hell for real. And she goes, Mom, I love you so much. Okay. And then she starts slipping. And in the real world, they can't pull her out of the coma. And oh my goodness, everything's so bad. And then they pull up on like CGI Doom version one hell and they kick her out on the coals. And she wakes up in hell, but her version of hell is Voyager, but everybody's extra nasty. And then they, I, I, I don't even know what the fuck really happens. Like everybody's being real mean and shitty, but it's like, they're just negging her basically. It's this weird sort of like, it's, they're trying to do tough love, but it just seems kind of bitchy to like drive her to a point where she like, okay, I'm not going to push everyone away anymore. It's, the last scene is neat. Like I, it, it, and this is kind of where I, I think I'm higher on the episode than you. There are pieces of this that are cool, right? The, the Janeway scene is neat. And then the last scene is neat where like all of her friends are surrounding her and she's going through like her identity crisis and real things that have happened to her character where like, would you want me to be a good Starfleet officer or a Maquis or, or lover or like what? Like she's had been pulled in all these different directions through her character history. We've seen that, but the problem is it's a, it's a fake conflict for this episode. It's a well-acted scene. Like the, the emotional catharsis is well done in the moment, but like, well, wait a second. Like, you re- we've resolved the idea of your terrorist uh, turned Starfleet officer identity five years ago. At this point, like, why is this still on your mind? You, you, we've had an entire episode devoted to you coming to terms with your relationship with Tom between blood fever and then your your worst day at work ever against the fried chicken people. Like, like we, we've done all of this. Why is why are we doing this again? We don't have to. And so it, it, it's just like, this is neat, but it's also stupid. <laughs> I was I, I've never been so checked out by the end of an episode. I think 1159 may have held my attention better than this did. And again, you know, it's it's not knocking any of the actors involved. Everybody does. a, yeah. a As good usual, job. Roxanne Dawson, the underrated talent of the Voyager acting crew. She is good every time they put the fucking camera on her. No matter how bad her hair looks. Yeah, like, I can't think of a single episode where I think Roxanne Dawson doesn't doesn't bring, you know, adequate effort at a minimum. And when she has her highlight episode, she does a damn fine job of trying to deliver on the drama she's being asked to deliver. And this is no exception, but it's just there's the wrong time for this story. It's just the wrong time. It's the wrong time for this story. And it's in a bad fit for the type of story. If this again, if this was early season two, three, sure. If this was before we got better afterlife episodes or you had somehow worked this barge of the dead, where it was a, you know, we shit on um, Chakotay's spirit journey stuff. Sometimes there's good ones. Again, Neelix went on an interesting spirit journey and I'm sure, um, you know, we ribbed it, but the one where there's the Napoleon Dynamite space vampires 
and he's got like the moon in the background and he like fights the wolf and then he fights the alien. <laughs> right. It's not the worst use of a spirit journey for him, right? Spirit journey, I think, is a good placeholder for exactly what this is in a near-death experience. You want to explore metaphysical, deep psychological uh, trauma and conflicted emotions. You can create this this isolated sandbox where you do all this supernatural, spiritual adventuring without saying heaven is real or hell is real or the afterlife is real. It's, it still keeps that a gray area, great unknown while giving you whatever uh, emotional development you wanted the character to go through. I'll be honest with you. I still hated the Chicote Dream Warrior episode. I think turning his background into a supernatural uh, ability is still just the stupidest fucking thing. Uh, but Chicote, as a character, has undergone a tremendous amount of growth over the course of this uh, series. And for some reason, the writers seem to be better at using that than they are almost everyone else, which is a little weird. They um, do. And- there is a good barb in this episode when everybody's like they're evil hallucination versions of hell uh, and everybody's giving her a hard time. Like Chakotay does kind of river like, oh, are you sure you're interpreting hell correctly and looking at all the iconography in the right light? Um, yeah, that, that That is a, a fun like, haha, that is definitely a Chakotay being shitty kind of like that's a neat line to take with that. That's good. Uh, and I'll agree with you, you know. Him being able to astrally project or whatever he does uh, with just a little bit of hand vibration, space peyote, it's weak, but it's already on the table. It's a system already in play. And if you want to tell these types of stories, you have a clear conduit to do it that's established and someone who can guide you through it. There's no need to to put definites in play the way that this did so. Uh, I hated this episode. Again, it's not a bad episode, but it's not for me. It left a real bad taste in my mouth. It was boring. I, and I, I feel like this episode only needed one scene. And I, I had it written in my head and I'll share it with you to like salvage it. It wouldn't have made it good, but it would have made it OK. And it would have been like Bolana with talking with Harry, like in the mess hall. Right. Because they're friends like she's he's her oldest friend on the ship on the ship, like literally from the pilot. And well, minus. uh, Chakotay, sure, minus Chakotay, but like, let's let's call it Harry because it's more of a peer relationship than a mentor relationship. Right. And say, listen, you know, like where she's bothered and pensive and she conveys like she's talking with her about like you know how she feels and how she feels isolated and torn apart and like harry's like what are you talking about like you've you've been the chief engineer of the ship for six years people you know respect you tom loves you like you've got friends like even seven likes you like all this other stuff like you know like where he's trying to convey like you've grown you've changed all of these things have happened and then she conveys in that scene I acknowledge that these things have happened, but I still have these unresolved pieces of my own life that hold me back. Right. If the episode had had that scene of so much of this could have been forgiven acknowledgement of the past acknowledgement of the growth that's occurred. 
and then set up for this episode. That's all it would have taken. Two minutes. Two to three minutes with an established relationship between two characters. No problem. But it just didn't have that, and so it just felt worthless. It did feel worthless. Uh, At the end of the day, I don't care about Klingon lore. Uh, It doesn't do it for me. I would be curious what Klingon fanboys feel about this oh episode. they fucking love this shit <laughs> like i'm like eh, i'm medium on it i think some of it's really interesting and like the idea of like Klingon hell and Klingon, you know like the barge and the the significance of like the people that jump off the barge and like get eaten by eels even though like their souls have been destroyed i guess or whatever like there's a lot of depth here to like people who who get off on that and uh i'm not one of them so i don't care <laughs> All right, but man, I'm I, done talking about this. <laughs> what I care about is what we're watching next week. And what is that? We're going into season six, episode four. Tinker, tenor, doctor, spy. And uh, we've got a picture of Janeway and Chakotay chilling out in their command stations. The doctor's experiment with daydreaming spins out of control when an alien race taps into his thoughts and compromises his program is it uh, going to be our first time to take the freshly minted Dr. Evil title out for a spin? No, no, this is uh, this is an episode played for laughs. This is a comedy episode, mm. uh, but it's actually like a lot of fun. I, I've enjoyed rewatching this. One. Well, they're saying tenor. That's in regards to music. Is Jerry Ryan going to be singing yet again? <laughs> Are we going to go three for four? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so uh, this is an allusion to the title of a book and also a very good movie. uh, I get it. (laughs) Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, So, uh, you know, it's it's a British it's an allusion to a British spy novel. Um, So don't don't take it too literally, although the doctor does sing in it. (laughs) I can guarantee you that it's actually in the opening. All right. Well, it can't possibly be any worse than what we just watched. Uh, so there's that, I suppose. I, I can completely assure you that it is not as bad as what we just watched. And on that note, thanks for listening to Vizier, please, I guess. <laughs> uh, Dron Moore, uh, feel free to see yourself out yeah. and don't let <laughs> the door hit you on your way out. You're, you you can go, and uh, next time you uh, write for a sci-fi property, please stop putting a whole bunch of religious bullshit in. We're tired. For real, for real. Talk to you later. Yeah.